Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome to We Love Movies. Coming up this week, Hocus Pocus 2 is finally here. There's been a huge appetite for a sequel to Hocus Pocus and it's been a long time coming. But if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you'll be able to watch it this weekend. And I'm intrigued to know what you thought of it. Just get onto Twitter, hashtag We Love Movies. We'll have a roundup of all the big film stories from the week as well. So lots on the way. That's coming up very shortly. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Yes, you're listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. I'm joined, as always, by Olivia Fahey, Andy McCarroll and Chris Wasser. Now, I do want to start by just saying that, unfortunately, We Love Movies is coming to an end. It's come. This is our second last show. Next week will be our last show um, of We Love Movies. Not like we're coming to an end of a series, but we're coming to the end on spin after 17 years, believe it or not. We started in 2005. First ever film we reviewed was Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. So 17 years later. So we were bowing out next week. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Wherever you listen to us, whether it's Sunday mornings or on the podcast, this is the penultimate episode. That's a hard word to say, penultimate. Um, Still made it absolute uh, hames of it. But uh, we will soldier on for this episode. And as always, we like to kick off with movie news. And I suppose the big talking point this week has been there's going to be a third Deadpool movie. Like We always knew that this was in the, was waiting in the wings once Disney and things were sort of happening there with Fox because Deadpool was under the Fox banner and it was a case of, well, how do we bring Deadpool in? Do we fully bring him into the MCU? So there's a few things to iron out. Now that has all been done and dusted and we're getting a third Deadpool movie. We've got Sean Levy, who's one of the producers of Stranger Things, who has been working with uh, Ryan Reynolds on his last two movies, the biggest hit of which have been Free Guy. So he's been tasked with making Deadpool 3. And if you've been living under a rock, Andy, what is the big talking point for Deadpool 3? Yeah, Ryan Reynolds released a typical hilarious Ryan Reynolds video where he said he was having trouble coming up with a script and coming up with ideas for Deadpool 3. And then in the background, who other than Hugh Jackman walks in and he says, well, would you want to play Wolverine again? And he says, sure, Ryan, and walks up the stairs. So we're getting Wolverine in the MCU, which we've never seen before. We're getting Deadpool in the MCU, which we haven't seen before either. So yeah, it seems like they've, you know, making fun of the fact they've run out of ideas and have now made this idea come to fruition. I'm initially very, very excited for that because it's always great to see Hugh Jackman and Wolverine and anything, but To me, I think Logan ended so perfectly. And I know there was a video we released afterwards saying this is going to be set before Logan. It's not going to affect the continuity of that. But I still think it's it's one of the few perfect superhero films. And I would hate to see that, you know, Anchorman 2 in in this way. Yeah, it is interesting. It is in it, Olivia, that they decided to do this with the character. But here's the thing, I suppose. Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, they are very good friends in real life as much as they've been having great fun on social media constantly poking fun at each other and maybe for Hugh Jackman is this almost like an encore where you know I've played the hits and I'm just going to give you one last uh, roll of the dice as it were with the, the with, with one of my signature uh, characters before I kind of head off like this will probably be, be his last time now finally finally as uh, Wolverine 
Honestly, yeah. And I think, I don't think he would have said yes to any old script. I think whatever they've put to him and whatever story that they're thinking of doing, like he is always down for a laugh, especially when it comes to working with Ryan. So it must be something very special for him to, you know, go back on what he said, being like, oh no, that's it. I'm done playing the role. Um, and that actually hilariously makes it both him and Sir Patrick Stewart, both on, Grant, on that Graham Norton episode being like, no, no, this is us. This is us leaving those roles behind. And now they're both going to be making an MCU debut <laughs> um, coming back to the role. So, and actually I wonder, does that mean that he is now going to take that crown of the longest running actor to play an MCU character or a Marvel character or something like that. I wonder if that another Guinness World Record. He was like, oh no, I'm not letting Patrick take that. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab that crown right back. Um but yeah, I think uh it has to be something special. I'm excited to see what it is. Um and do you know what? As long as it's a bit of fun, I think it'll still they're gonna leave Logan well alone, but I think it'll still stand on its own two feet is kind of what I'm trying to say. I just have a one. I'm wondering as well, Chris, with the likes of Deadpool. Yeah, Kevin Feige has said, yeah, we're happy to go along with this. But in a weird way, it still kind of feels like Deadpool is off in its own universe and maybe not necessarily part of the MCU because those X-Men movies were, of course, under the Fox banner and we're now going to eventually get a new X-Men and there's a lot of rumours that Taron Edgerton may take over as Wolverine. And so they could make this Deadpool movie but it mightn't be considered part of the MCU. And I'm so that's what my, where my head's at with it. But I also kind of think as well, Chris, after Deadpool 2, I nearly had enough of the character. Like he sometimes he's it, I find him he's hard to take solidly. So maybe having paired with Wolverine is the best thing to do with the character. Because I, I really honestly felt after Deadpool 2, they had ran out of ideas. Where were you with the character? Yeah, I was the same. I tolerated Deadpool 2. I enjoyed the first one, but very much tolerated the second one. And I always felt that Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds' iteration of Deadpool, he belongs in another bigger superhero film where he is maybe, you know, this kind of R-rated comic relief. You know, the, the, the less you see and hear of him, the more effective he is. And I just thought those two films, they kind of exhausted the one... The, the, the one joke that Deadpool has, which is that, you know, he's the irreverent fourth wall breaking superhero who doesn't care about anyone else. And uh, I, I just think for this third one, it seems a bit I first of all, I don't know how Kevin Feige and the lads at, at you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Studios market this thing, because it is going to feel like an MCU B-side in a way, because even their, you know, most dour, most serious superhero film, something like Eternal, it was still geared towards families. You know, it still had that 12 search, where something like Deadpool, in order to stay true to the character, as Ryan Reynolds says in that, in that brief teaser, they are going to have to keep it all rated. They're going to have to, you know, retain the spirit of the first two, which is, you know, all out chaos, you know, adult superhero gore and fun and whatever, whatever else is involved. So I don't really know how that fits. And then also going into this, I, I think it is nice that, you know, you, Jackman and Roy Reynolds are going to collaborate together again, because it seems as though everything, it seems as though they're coming together over the last few years and all the little sketches and all the fun that they've had online. It seems like a friendship that was a bit too late. It's like, oh, this would have been great 10 years ago when, you know, you, Jackman was so heavily involved in the X-Men universe. It was such a shame. So maybe, you know, look, they do deserve to have one, you know, final round. But I'm with Andy when I'm when when I when I say that when he says that, you know, Logan was that rarity. It's a perfect superhero film. I watched it there recently. I thought, what a swan song for you, Jackman's character. And I don't care if this story is set, you know, a few years before. I think it's the version of 2029 that 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 exists in, in Logan. It doesn't matter where it exists. I, I was I was happy to wave goodbye to the character then. It was such a perfect end 
to that story, it's a risk. You know, I will, I'll invest in it, but it is a risk for everyone involved, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when movies run out of ideas and then they start to become parodies of themselves. And there is that worry that this becomes such a parody that it kind of, it feels very disjointed to Logan. Um, so hopefully they'll kind of treat it yeah, the character I heard an idea on the, the Weekly Planet where they were saying that the one of the ideas being banded about was that Hugh Jackman is playing Hugh Jackman in the film and Deadpool doesn't understand that he isn't really Wolverine. Yeah. And he's taken him on a, like basically a road trip. He's kidnapped him to do like uh, to use his mutant powers or something, but doesn't realize Hugh Jackman is actually an actor. So that sounds a bit Ocean's 12, Julia Roberts for me, but... Oh, I kind of like that, it, though. If oh, anyone can make it work, that. though, it's those two. <laughs> God, that's a really interesting idea if they decide to go with that. Um, anyway, we, we will wait and see when things are up and running, but it's not set for release anyway until 2024. But we'll get a good sense of where we're at with the film, obviously, come next year when they are in uh, principal photography. Just to move on, and uh, like most weeks, we always like to check in with The Rock and uh, see how he's doing and uh, m- how he loves to meet and greet fans. And I just couldn't but resist this latest video of his where he happened to just record a a lovely video message with a fan who'd been clearly waiting for him uh, for some period of time. Maybe I'm just becoming so cynical toward this man after years of Andy berating him. But it felt like he nearly was trying to be nice when, in fact, he really hadn't got much time for it. Maybe I'm reading between the lines. Andy, straight over to you. What do you think of this lovely video that most people would think that The, the Rock I'm shot with this young delighted friend? delighted that you see this now. You can finally see the strings now, Gordon. It's, it, the, the, it's like the Matrix. I feel like you're able to see the code now. <laughs> he spots this crying child on the side of the road and his first instinct is, oh, look, a crying piece of content. I mean, a human being. <laughs> Quick, get the cameras, everybody get out and we need to record this video of this child, you know, freaking out that she's meeting her here. Rather than being like sincere, you know, taking the picture, grand, move on. No, we have to get this. We have to send an Instagram video. This needs to blow up. This needs to be, you know, we need to position me as the nicest person in the world. And I thought it was interesting that the the top comment underneath that video was somebody saying that they met him that day and said, sorry, I didn't want to bother you and ask for a picture and come up and the rock tournament, what, like you're doing now? Now, whether that happened or not, I don't know, but it just, it's that kind of insincerity to it. And like we've talked about Ryan Reynolds, it's kind of interesting that Ryan Reynolds and him have a very similar career path. You know, they both have their, you know, their alcohol brand. They've both been involved in sports teams. Where it goes different for me is I think there is a sincerity to Ryan Reynolds. And the thing that really stood out for me is that the, the show he has, Welcome to Wrexham, about him and Rob McInerney buying the, the football club. There's a scene in it where they're, they're redoing the Wrexham Stadium and the guys take them around. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he goes, we're going to put a pub in here. And it's just this small as you know, Ryan Reynolds goes, well, what about Wayne Jones? And he's like, what? And he's like, well, just, you know, I, I want to talk to him before we do anything here on that. And then it moves on. You're like, hang on, which one is Wayne Jones again? And then you remember, Wayne Jones is the guy who owns the pub next to the stadium. So rather than Ryan Reynolds think, oh yeah, this is great. You know, I can put Aviation Gym, clanging and banging, we can do what you can brand all this. His first thought is, oh no, there is a real person who actually has a pub, who's involved in the community. Let's make sure they're okay before we start taking stuff away. And I think that's the difference to it. Whereas if that was the Rocks documentary, he would have, you know, cut to Wayne Jones. There would have been all this 
this like different, I don't know how it's an amazing thing that he's done, but it was just this one throwaway line and a very human moment in this. And I just think he is, I've said it before, he has muscled up Tony Robbins. He hasn't got a sincere bone in his body. <laughs> Every single person and thing in the world is just his plaything to post on Instagram. So everyone can look and go, look how fantastic and wonderful and what a great person you are when actually he is a drain on the medium of film. Mm-hmm. Jackie, I totally forgot. Why that. do I bite for this every single week? <laughs> because we you know, know how to push your buttons. <laughs> all we're missing is a priest now to give you a few uh, Hail Marys. Uh, but the thing is, I totally forgot that Black Adam was coming out this year. I honestly thought it was set for release next year. Like it's out, I think, 21st of October. Yeah, it's, you it's, wouldn't know it's, because all he's pitching is how great the marketing is for the film, how great his Under Armour shoes are, how great his muscles are for the film. Hasn't mentioned the film once, except to say, you know, look how great I look in the in the suit. It, it's going to be, like, I can tell now, it's going to be three out of five. It's going to be grand, like every other one of his films. And, you know, rather rinse, repeat, just inoffensive enough that we can make a billion quid and move on to the next one. Yeah, I'm not really holding out much for for Black Adam whatsoever. Uh, Let us move on. Give Andy a chance there to uh, recover. Olivia, there's news this week that James Earl Jones, that uh, he has decided to part ways with Lucasfilm. Yes, after, you know, what an illustrious career he's had with the with the studio and voicing such an iconic character. He is stepping down. He is taking off the mask and handing it back to, to George Lucas. He is no longer going to be voicing uh, Darth Vader, which, you know, we were talking about it recently, like when he was voicing the character again for Obi-Wan Kenobi, because it hadn't actually been confirmed right up until the, the episode aired that we heard. It's like, oh, no, it is kind of James Earl Jones, but they were kind of meshing it with... Um, Hayden Christensen so the technology is clearly there for them to to play with it enough so now he's kind of like do you know what I don't need to record anything else y'all have me on file just use all of that and that's pretty much what they're going to go do and I think it's considering our little announcement today as well like your first film that you reviewed was Revenge of the Sith which was kind of like the birth of Darth Vader in you know the Star Wars universe and now you know James Earl Jones is actually you know like retiring so it's kind of like oh what a nice little circle that is. Have a guess how old he is. Oh, he's in his 90s. Oh, well he's nearly, done. He's nearly as old as my granny, actually. Nanny will be 99 in December and I think he's not that far off her. He's 91, is good old James Earl Jones. Uh, mind you, though, I think he's getting out while the going's good. That Obi-Wan Kenobi was absolutely dreadful. Did you ever see that, Chris, that series? It was horrendous. I watched the first couple of episodes and it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as horrendous. I thought it was Fine, maybe there was a you know. If you could both see my face right now, but there was a (laughs) a slight excitement. I think there was an excitement there in seeing you, McGregor, reprise that role. Was there? Was there a a little bit? But but I should say that you know I I wasn't invested enough to spend the next you know the 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 next six hours with the story because I just thought it was kind of coasting by you know on on that on that setup that you, McGregor's back and also just kind of filling all these gaps. I don't really want to know. What what Obi Wan was got up to, you know, in the years between one Star Wars film and another Star Wars film, I was kind of happy not knowing. But no. Andor, Gordon, Andor, Olivia's a big fan of Andor, I think as well. <clears> oh, no. lo- loves a bit of Andor. <laughs> I watched. Do you know what? I watched the first episode, yeah. and I yeah, it's a slow burner, and I'm happy now just to give it a bit of breathing space. I believe things really take a change come episode three. They do. So I've been told it's kind of one of those. It's just laying the foundation kind of giving you a sense of the world building that's going on. I suppose maybe going in knowing that it's a bit coming at a slow pace. I'm kind of happy with that. I do feel that Tony Gilroy 
seems like a good, solid pair of hands behind the scenes. So I'm prepared to give it a go. Whereas, but you were you just were you bored with it, Olivia? Was that the whole thing? Yeah, it, I just there's just something about it that is just it's either too slow or they're not really hitting enough of like even if you are trying to just world build um, and take your time with it, it's just not hitting the beats quick enough in that sense, because even if you are sort of taking your time with that, there are still a certain number of beats that you'd need to hit kind of per episode just to make sure that you're kind of keeping everybody's attention. And me being a diehard Star Wars fan, if you're not able to keep my attention for something like that, then, you know, maybe this isn't hitting the the right note for for all fans but it might be hitting the right note for people who aren't as big a diehard star wars fan so it's just not finding that right balance for me and even like so i've seen up until actually so episode four came out there on thursday and um even in that episode there was a lot of more characters introduced you know actually a few irish actors are in it now as well and you start to sort of see a bit more of that world building now but four episodes in yeah i know they're going to have 12 total but to wait four episodes to actually meet nearly like the bigger picture of what's going on is too long for me even though they're only 30 minute episodes i still think those first two should have been maybe an extended 40 minute episode and then you move on from there and then the the beats might have actually fallen into place a little bit better but for me it's still yeah it's still just not sitting right I've no interest really in in catching up. I know one of the things that was said about it was that this feels more like if HBO had made a Star Wars show. So I was thinking, you know, okay, right? I'm I'll, I'll take that on board as well because I know when it came to the Wire, which is one of my favorite shows, it really was around episode three when it all started clicking for me because like they were like that they were laying the foundation down. But I did find the likes of Obi Wan Kenobi very very creaky. Some of the performances were shocking in it. Oh, and I th- thought Deborah Chow's direction at times was wasn't as brilliant as it was being made out to be. I just thought, again, it felt very lackluster. Whereas this, I can definitely, at the moment, I've got promise for Android. But again, I'm only just, I've only seen uh, the first episode. But just to kind of move things on a little bit in terms of how we're looking for movie news uh, this week. Andy, there's this documentary which is set to come out about Barney the Dinosaur. But they're going down a bit of a, a dark, seems twisted take on what went on behind the scenes. Now, is there much that has gone on behind the scenes on Bernie to really warrant a documentary? It's a two-part documentary. You're saying has it got enough to warrant it. It doesn't look like it has enough to warrant a trailer for it because it runs out of steam about 30 seconds into it. It looks like we're talking off air about it. Do you remember those like fake documentaries or like expose pieces they used to do in the Simpsons rock bottom where it was like, everything was perfect until it wasn't. This is pretty much what it looks like. You have like Al Roker and Bill Nye saying, oh yeah, the dinosaur was great. And then you see one of the guys playing. He's like, oh, there was all these rumors. We were hiding drugs in the tail. Why would you hide drugs in the tail of the thing? Obviously that isn't true. And then it closes with, you know, the, the line to hook you in. And it's like, can't believe that anyone would shoot anybody like that. And you're thinking, oh, geez, what, what the hell happened? What, what happened on Barney that, you know, people getting shot? So I looked into it and it turns out one of the creator's sons shot one of his friends and he went to jail. This guy had nothing to do with the show except for the fact he was the son of one of the creators. Don't think he's ever even been on set. And it's just all this like God awful imagery, you know, like, Barney being smashed, like a ceramic Barney being smashed with a hammer, a plushy toy being set on fire. Like, You've just done this for the trailer. This isn't a thing that happened. And it just looks like 
okay, we own Barney. We're not going to reboot it. What in the name of God can we do to get people to watch this? And if you can't make a trailer worth of interesting content or even a coherent trailer where you're like, are you saying what a great thing Barney used to be and all the impact it had on the culture or, you know, it was really seedy behind the scenes. If you're splitting that in half and still can't come up with anything interesting, just don't bother making it. Who cares? It's like they tried to make debt to Smoochie 20 years after a film that wasn't successful and it's still absolutely pants. Oh God. So avoid that one. So there's a new Barney documentary that is uh, coming out. And uh, finally, finally, Ridley Scott, who's got to be one of the hardest working octogenarians out there at the moment, he's uh, currently rapping. He's probably, I think, he's in post at the moment on this Napoleon film that he's made with Joaquin Phoenix, and the signs are looking like we might get to see it this year because he's already prepping Gladiator too. Chris, do you know much about this Gladiator? I'm sorry, the Gladiator, this Napoleon film, what sort of take he's going with? Is it looking at a specific part of Napoleon's life? Do we know much about what's what's going on? Uh, we don't, other than than the fact that, you know, he is working with Joaquin Phoenix again. And it is nice to see them working together again. Now, the reports that it is going to be released before Christmas, they're a little bit sketchy. I mean, that's kind of Ridley Scott rushing again to kind of get it out in time for, for, for award season. But I doubt it will happen because, I mean, Apple Studios as well will kind of decide when it's going because Apple are, are the studios are the one that will be producing. I mean, it might get a week or two in cinemas, but then it'll be it'll be streaming online. But it is astonishing, uh, Ridley Scott's work rate. I mean, was it, was it the... Year, was it last year or the year before where where we got two Ridley Scott's films? Uh, well, it was last year. It was House of Gucci and Last Jewel. Within like two or three months. I mean, directors half his age are not putting out films like that. I will. I do want to stop you on something, and I and I, I might be I might be shaming myself here. What do you mean Ridley Scott is prepping Gladiator Two? Yeah, there's going to be a Gladiator Two, and the plan is he's finally gotten a script. Now, years ago. Nick Cave. There was a there was a Nick Cave one, yeah. Oh, which was a real highfalutin one, which all centered on Maximus in death. And again, it, it I don't know if he returned as a ghost or something, but you saw him over some mad time periods. Now, the, 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 the gods of death sent him back because uh, Maximus's son has like denounced all the gods, and he's becoming more powerful. And it's basically, Clash of the Titans—they're losing their power, so they send him back to fight his son. And then they fight his son through, like he has to fight his son through all the like battles throughout history, including a fight in the Situation Room in the White House, where I assume Russell Crowe beats him to death with a phone. And the whole thing, there's a great story Nick Cave tells about like how Russell Crowe called him up to ask him about the script. And he's like, hey, but, like you died in the first film. And Russell Crowe went, yeah, it's your problem now, mate. And just hung up the phone on him. <laughs> and Nick Cave, apparently in the biggest haze that anyone came up with, came up with this absolutely bonkers you know, father-son generational war, which to be honest, oh, no. I kind of want to see. Well, that- I think I think I think Andy will be pleased to hear that I'm doing some research. Um, but I'm gonna do some research while he's talking. And I see here that uh Russell Crowe had a conversation or two with Chris Hemsworth on the set of Thor Love and Thunder about ideas for a second gladiator film, and that Chris Hemsworth had secretly apparently been harboring this desire to be involved in the production of a gladiator sequel that still doesn't solve the problem that the main character is dead is dead I, I i look i yes i want to see you know nick cave's wacky version of gladiator 2 or whatever version of gladiator 2 they have the same the same way that i would love to see you know nick cage play superman you know i know it's going to be bad but in, in you know to, to i forgot the best part i forgot the best part oh no what's what's the what's the best guess part? what it was called what Gladiator 2, Christ Killer. 
Oh, wow. That was good. Oh, Jeannie, Max. No. If that's on no. the light of day. That's like <laughs> something uh, Asylum or Trauma would release. Dear Lord. Oh, why didn't we get this film? The amount of crap we watch every week and we didn't get Christ Killer. <laughs> oh, wow. I would say what will happen is, with the greatest respect to Russell Crowe, is that I think uh, they'll probably bench him and that it will take on a whole new story and it'll just carry the Gladiator name and it'll have a subtitle to it. And maybe it might centre on the young boy who took over as emperor um, at the end. Maybe it'll go down that road and that Maximus will be mentioned in the ether, but you never see him. And uh, I think that's probably where they might go with it. But that's just me kind of just guessing. But yeah, Gladiator 2 is a thing. I think the, uh, the, the silence all around says it all. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> Gladiator 2 is in the works by all accounts. Now, coming up in uh, the second half of Wheel of Movies, we are going to go through. There's a couple of Halloween offerings. Hocus Pocus 2, The Monsters is also out as well. I'm not going to lie to you. Both look absolutely atrocious, but we'll be letting you know right after this short break. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to part two of We Love Movies. Still with me is Livia Fahey, Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll. We're going to go through some new releases. Maybe ones you should avoid. I'm just putting it out there. Andy, The Monsters. No one's been looking for this film except Rob Zombie. Now, he has some sort of deal in place with Universal Pictures. So they've bankrolled this, but they've obviously seen the monstrosity that it is and with good luck. And they've managed to somehow shove it off there to Netflix, who probably like, you know, gimme, 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 gimme. Come up to Halloween. We'll take any old muck. But the trailers, everything around this looks like this is like the deals version of the Adams Family. Like, Granted, when the monsters came out, it was trying to always vie for some of that Adams family love. But the original TV series that starred Fred Gwynn was great. Was really good. What Rob Zombie has done, it's like, you know, the costume shop. And you look at some of those horrendous costumes you can buy. You know, if you want to dress up as like, say, Elvis, and then what arrives in the post is like the wish version of Elvis. These costumes that they've gotten the cast in, everyone looks like they've turned up at a horrendous, cheapy, fancy dress party. Yeah, it doesn't look much better in the film. The weird anomaly of that with the Adams Family is the Adams Family debuted on the 18th of September, 1964. And the Monsters was the 24th of September, 1964. Two completely independent ideas that became these, you know, cultural icons of weird families, you know, debuting a week apart. It's bizarre, could have twist of faith. Like you said, Gordon, this thing looks like they were all brought into a school gymnasium, not told what film they were making, and then just said, okay, it's the Monsters, go. You have 15 minutes, go out to deals, go out to wherever the cheap costume, you know, spirit Halloween, and come back and make it. It is absolute nonsense. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It's supposed to be like an origin story, the whole thing. It's like having the Adams family, but not having, you know, the house or having the, the family dynamic. The whole thing is like, you know, Avengers assemble of the monsters of something that people do they know that particularly well? Like would they know that as well as the Adams family? Like are these as iconic as the likes, you know, Gomez and you know Lorch or any of them? Probably not. But like you said, it's just 
there like how they managed to get netflix to hand them any money for this i don't know like that is the, the scam of scams that's the film i want to see rob zombie is he says you know if anyone who's seen his cribs thing he's obsessed with the monsters he posters and you know original stuff from the cast all over his house none of this comes across it doesn't come across like a labor of love anything that comes across like somebody who absolutely hates this and wants to just hammer home how stupid and ridiculous this idea is and honest to god if i do one thing today from the show it is that the, the poster when it pops up in your netflix will look fantastic it looks alluring do not click it it is absolutely garbage do you know what the thing is andy there was a stage there in the was it sort of the mid 2000s where there was almost like this new horror talent was coming through and rob zombie was one of them house of a thousand corpses was his first film which was an absolute mess it was it was almost it was made by somebody because i remember buying the dvd at the time because it um had fallen foul of the censors and it, there was a difficulty getting a cinema release and i remember watching it and i went there's like too many ideas it was made by somebody that thought i'm only ever going to get one crack at the whip at making a film so i'll throw everything in and like that it became really incoherent it was one stage it wanted to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then there was a lot of slasher ideas were all over the shop. Anyway, Haunted House type movie, all up mess, big mess. Then he seemed to get things back on track with The Devil's Rejects. You kind of go, okay, now I see this talent. But then he's gone off and he's made some absolute muck. Like his Halloween remake was an all over the place. And it just seems like that the Halloween 2, part 2, was made by someone who absolutely seemed like they hated Halloween. And... There was an, and another that's the thing. That's what comes across in the monster as well. Like the devil, like House with Hells and Courses, you made a good point there that he was trying to make Texas Chainsaw. And I think because he loved that so much, he made an absolute hang with it. Devil's Rejects was nothing. He didn't have any attachment to it and made it well. Halloween, another franchise he absolutely loves. And like you said, it was like was made by someone who absolutely hates it. And I'm sorry to cut across you, but that second film, the first 40 minutes of the film, it then stops and it's revealed None of that happened. This is all a dream of some stone teenager in a van. And at that point, I want to put my fist through the telly, grab a hold of Rob Zombie by his stupid beard and bash him over the head with his <laughs> equally stupid wife and never let him make anything ever again. <laughs> but you know what, actually? It's it's mad that the crop of filmmakers that came out at that time that kind of showed real promise in the horror genre, one of which is Eli Roth. Do you know what he's doing now? He's got a show on the Travel Channel where he travels around meeting pets that have had ghostly encounters. I, you not. Like, that is what he's at at the moment. Possessed Pets is the name of his show. That's what he's doing now. Another one of these, in inverted commas, masters of horror, himself and Rob Zombie. Where are they now? Sweet Jesus. That's what, that's what they're doing. Anyway. We'll, we'll... I kind of want to see Possessed Pets. <laughs> <laughs> I think the weirdest thing on Eli Roth's, I, I got to interview him for the house with a clock in his walls and he, honestly, he was the nicest guy in the world. But the weirdest thing for me is during that, he tells me he is producing the Baywatch movie. And I was like, how in the name of God did that end up at your door? And how are you the one, you know, behind making that? That is a bizarre how he his name got attached to that. Um, and then, yeah, it's mad mad but yeah again the, his the, his lot of uh, films of late haven't been great either like that Death Wish remake but anyway, actually he's got the, the Borderlands film coming as well on the, the video game with there's Kevin Hart is in it isn't he Kevin Hart Kate Blanchett's in it because they work together on uh, with, the, with the clock with the it was it the, the house with a clock in its walls so there she's the house in with it, a clock in its walls, which is actually not bad 
Is it, do you know what? In fairness, I've only seen a little bit of it. It's and, fine. And I was a bit like going, yeah. I know he's going down the Amblin route with it. Um, I would have preferred, kind of preferred yeah. Goosebumps. But yet with, with Borderlands, that's kind of a more of a Mad Max sort of vibe to it, is it? Yeah. And again, one of the, the biggest games of all time. And will the video game course be stopped with him? Probably not based on the fact he's doing Travel Channel with Haunted Pets. Yeah. Well, yeah. like the TV series have definitely been doing a lot better. Like Halo has been a massive hit for Paramount Plus. So I'd be interesting to see what he can do with it. But I'm also like not holding my breath. There's going to be a lot of game to TV series content coming out soon between Prime, Netflix, and um, Halo as well. So, and actually, the dog is after like growling next to me also. So he's just <laughs> like, I'm not impressed with all these game to videos. <laughs> Do you know, I just feel with Eli Roth is that there's times where you go, listen, will you just reduce the funny and just try and keep this a serious, keep on a serious kind of track here? Because he did that with the Green Inferno. There were times where you could really up the tension and the terror. And instead, he always tried to go for the cheap laugh. And that's my worry with something like Borderlands, where he might just instead of keeping it really gritty and um, that he might just try and shoehorn in all these kind of silly gags along the way. Anyway, uh, that's another film which I'm sure will, it should be set for release fairly soon, if not uh, next year. Uh, but we're going to move on. Hocus Pocus 2 is out and the reviews so far haven't been great. Hocus Pocus 2, there's a huge allure for this film, Chris. There's an awful lot of people who have been waiting a long time for it. Should they have been kept waiting? Uh, yeah, something's gone terribly wrong here. And I think we should probably start by saying that I, I don't really know how to explain this film because I think if you were to ask even Kenny Ortega and any of the people involved in the first film in the year or two after it was released, you know, the first one back in 1993, if they thought a sequel was going to be made at some stage, they would have told you absolutely not because the response to the first film was not great. I, I feel as though there's this weird revisionist cinema history around Hocus Pocus that we all have it in, in, our, in our minds that, you know, it's this family classic and you know it was a huge success for everyone involved it wasn't it was released to wobbly reviews it was released to wobblier box office returns um but something strange happened with it where you know when it ended up on cable when it ended up on the disney channel wherever you know and, and you know on the shelf in your local video store people were buying it and people were watching it every september and october so there was enough interest after after 25 years i should say we're, that's 29 years now but after 25 years that the, the, the folks at disney finally thought wrote, okay we might finance a sequel here but i just feel as though they might have missed the trick because they brought back the original band you know bet midler sarah jessica parker Captain Najimi. they you know They've more or less just copied and pasted the story from the first one, which is that, you know, the Wicked Sanderson sisters are back. There's another group of outrageously dull teenagers. They might only have the night to survive. They, you know, want to do their everything in their power uh, and they have a lot of power to, to to stay alive. They brought back the same plot, the same characters, but I would have just loved if they had leaned into the fact that the people they're making this for are now in their 30s and 40s. And I don't know if Disney was was ever, you know, interested in making, you know, a more kind of adult oriented uh, hoax focus too, which is to say, you know, actually have some decent jokes in there for the adults. Be a bit risky with it. Be a bit edgy because I think people wanted that. Instead, they've made something that would hardly entertain a toddler, you know, based on a screenplay that at times sounds as though it's written in crayon. The stuff coming out of the character's mouth is just so just just so airless so joyless so witless i just i spent the whole time watching this going disney has all the money in the world don't they they really do i mean they 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 have a huge budget for things like this and and instead with hocus pocus too 
the, the visuals, it's not in a releasable state. They look unfinished. It looks as though it was shot, you know, in someone's back garden. Like it looks as though it was all shot actually on one, maybe sound st- on one soundstage and they all just had to swap in between takes. I just, it just screams, Gordon, will this do? And I spent the whole time answering back, no, it won't. I think you missed a trick. I can't believe they didn't bring back, you know, I can't believe they don't lean into the original story, that they didn't bring back all of the, you know, the younger characters growing up, that they didn't bring back a talking cast, that they didn't have any humor for its target audiences. It's not supposed to be a film for today's kids. It's supposed to be a sequel for the people who actually enjoyed this thing. And if you're one of those who've been waiting for 29 years, prepare to be disappointed. God, I, I would counter that because I am someone who waited 29 years and I quite enjoyed it. So I want to put Chris back into his rocking chair, put a little blankie over him, give him some hot cocoa because clearly he just has no joy in his life. That was, <laughs> I could not keep, like, I was biting my tongue while you were saying most of that. I completely disagree. I'm like, we watched two totally different films. The film is finished. This The CGI was grand. Like, what What on earth were you watching? <laughs> it's like, but, no, no, I disagree entirely. I would also- so 100% disagree with Chris. I thought it leaned into it just enough. It wasn't, it didn't do what, you know, the likes of Anchorman, Dumb and Dumber 2 is, where it just made the other film again and brought everyone back and go, look, it respected, you know, it's a weird thing to say, it respected the law of Hocus Pocus 1. Yes. And that oh, it didn't change that. you lost me. Respected the law of Hocus Pocus. You're, you're saying about the talking cat. Like, the okay. whole point that the talking cat is that he gets his all, he goes off the sister. To just bring him back and undo that, undoes the whole plot and point of the first film and I liked it was that little red herring with the cat where it kind of goes is that going to be him and it wasn't the only bit of fan service that I would have liked in that there's a moment where they sing in it and I would have liked to have heard the original song from that that's the only thing everything else well, I they did have that a little bit up. they had a little bit so the, the, the spell is actually the same gibberish as it was and I put a spell on you so for the new song uh, one way or another they actually have the same gibberish they used in I put a spell on you so it is the exact same spell technically so that was the closest nod that they could get and the three of them are clearly having the most crack anyone's ever had like Bette Midler is absolutely fantastic in this and I was as skeptical as anyone going in there's an opening scene where there's kids playing young versions of the character and the imitation of the three of them is absolutely spot on and there's a moment near the start where they go into a Walgreens and they're looking for you know, beauty rejuvenation products because they've been told this, you know, <laughs> contains the souls of kids. And after that, I was like, this is just the right brand of silliness. The tone is fantastic. And I'm all in. Would you like and a fun you, fact about that Walgreens scene? I would love a fun fact, Olivia. Chris, you shut up and don't say a word for the rest of this <laughs> <laughs> So apparently that scene was actually included because the original film was made with the focus actually being on the sisters themselves with the kids being the side plot. During the editing sequence, they decided to remove this whole like scene where they got to run amok in a supermarket. They removed that in order to put more of the focus onto the kids and sort of change the, the storyline a little bit there. So then when they were coming for the second one, they were like, well, we got rid of the the supermarket scene. Why don't we do something similar, but do it in like Walgreens and have it in this way? So that scene purely exists because a scene was cut from the first one. There we Lovely. go. Chris, you're going to have the right to reply there. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have plenty of joy in my life, but I just cannot subscribe to this idea that the world needed a Hocus Pocus sequel. I mean, it, it, I, I, I can't. It, and you're saying it does look rubbish. rubbish. The intro, the in- Oh. The first one is terrible. It's all over the yeah, place. It, it's difficult to argue. I it, and it came. I know it's difficult to argue with. You're the lucky the show is ending because <laughs> I would have killed you. Otherwise. <laughs>
I, I do. I respect the fact that it came from such a pure uh, place. I remember reading a story that uh, the original screenplay by, you know, it was actually maybe taken off the guy who originally had the story for it, but that it came about after he was like sitting on a step outside his house with his daughter and a black mm-hmm. cat walked by and he, and he made up this story about where the black cat, I love that. That's so pure. That is so, that is so lovely. And I love the fact that people are, I, look, I like that people are interested in this thing and that they dress up every year and that there has been a fan push for them. But they've gone and made something for five or six or seven-year-olds that's just not funny. And that you, you were saying, Andy, that the thing leans into it just the right amount. No, it doesn't. It, 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 should, it should have embraced its ridiculous fu- ridiculousness fully. And it should have been given a, bit, a, bit, a better budget. The CGI is not good enough. It's not for a company like Disney that has so much money in it. And the few good ideas that they have, they just scrap as well. When Ted Lasso's boss, when actually, to give her a proper name, sorry, when the wonderful Hannah Waddingham comes into it at the beginning to play Mother Witch, there's somebody who has, you know, a strong background in just completely, you know, losing herself to a stagey performance. And for the few minutes that she's in, she's she's involved in it, I thought this is going to be strong. This is going to be great because you're right, Andy, the kids were actually were pretty decent. Then everything, then all that just disappears. And none of those things that I, that I just mentioned come back into it. And it's just a rehash of the tiresome gags that people thought were funny the first time around. I, I hated this thing. No, okay, but I you're saying they don't lean saying... into the ridiculousness. There is a point in yes. it where they break into song and the kids turn around and go, who in the hell are they performing for? It, and it doesn't, like the one thing that annoys me with these legacy sequels is when they undo or they they throw something in just for the sake of throwing it in and they don't respect the original film. There's nothing, like, you can't watch Hocus Pocus 2 and take anything bad from Hocus Pocus 1. And even the end, like this is not to spoil the end, and there is somewhat <laughs> of, a, of an evolution for those characters as well, which I thought was a, a really sweet moment as well, which I wasn't expecting from that. I thought this was going to be, let's make the first film again, but slightly worse. I was very surprised and I was as cynical as anyone going into this. Olivia's right. You don't have joy in your life. And if you don't like Hocus Pocus when you don't deserve joy in your life. <laughs> like I have to say, cause like I, you know me, like I'm very precious about Hocus Pocus and I, above anyone, I was so cautious about this. As much as I was really looking forward to it, I was also very nervous about it. But I also think like Chris, when you're saying about how like the, the opening sequence then has nothing to do with like the rest of the film. It's like, actually it does because they mention actually three things that actually you can't say because of spoilers, but they do sort of follow through for the rest of the film like that's kind no, of I just, one of the main points is mentioned in that opening which is I just the think whole they thing you get back in your box Chris, and let Olivia no, talk they should, they should have brought, no I didn't say it has nothing I think they should have had Hannah Waddingham actually come back into it and maybe it would have been fun to explore the kids a little bit I just think when, when that opening to, to not then have any of those characters come back to not have the younger versions of the Santa Sisters to not have Mother Witch I thought it was a bit of a shame it was a bit of a wasted opportunity I do think it was a shame that Hannah wasn't in it more I do agree with that but Personally, it's like the the way that the film is actually framed, you couldn't put her back in. Like you couldn't have put the kids back in. You couldn't have done any of that. Like the way it's been done is perfectly fine for the story that they were trying to tell. As much as I understand your wishes, it's like your wishes cannot come true because it wouldn't have fit in with the actual plot that they have. And for the the storyline that they've done, it is quite actually clever because it's not a copy and paste. It has certainly elements from the original, but it's definitely not the exact same. There's a lot more sort of twists and turns and ways that like you might have oh, thought no, they were going to go down. Paste. It's no, a copy and paste. It is they bring not back, a copy and paste. They bring back Billy. They bring, the sisters come back when someone lights the candle. They Billy is raised from the dead again, played by Doug Jones. It's just the sisters are trying to stay alive for one night only, and you can't remember the names of the teenage characters because they are so dull. It is the same thing 
repackaged and just given an extra polish. And, and, and I don't know how you guys can't see that. I said it was, there's elements to it, but it's not a direct copy of Pace. You're saying it's a direct copy of Pace. It's definitely not, it's not, shall we say, Force Awakens. Force Awakens was definitely much more of a copy and paste than this is. I disagree. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to a stage where I think we may have to agree to disagree. Uh, no, we the- won't. We won't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say it is, it is two against one and Andy and I notoriously disagree on a lot of things and Chris and I do usually agree on more things usually so do, yeah. it, put it, it this way if Andy and I are in agreement then clearly there's something wrong with Chris oh would you know what <laughs> I, I'm taking everything on board here being someone who has no time for hoax pokes at all and maybe I'm in, in the, the camp of that has no joy but I I'm kind of thinking is don't this make a start like, on you as well <laughs> where are you going to start I'm not my really on a moment. but um, I am um, it's just kind of like, you know, the um, the sequel to Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, when I know people came out and they're going, oh, my God, it was brilliant. But when you got to go, hold on, everybody, that was just a remix of Mary Poppins. You know, it, are we kind of, I know Chris saying it just it seems a copy and paste. No, it's it's nothing oh. like that. This has the, the what makes Hocus Pocus so good is those interactions between the three main characters, which the, the Mary Poppins Returns didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. And the reason Chris is saying like the, this, the, the kids, I like that they, they didn't say, oh, here's, you know, the, the kids front and center, it realizes, look, nobody's here for you. We just need you as a plot device to get to the three because that's what everybody wants. And that's what it does really, really well. And to see them three playing off each other, clearly having the time of their lives, that's what makes it so good because it is, you know, it's fan service in a good way. It's not, you know, teasing you with something that, you know, it's giving you what you want in a decent way and not just, you know, there's no cynicism to it. It's just like, yeah, here, look, it's all just a bit of fun. Yeah. But- and honestly, I think that like if, people who were seeing this film for the first time, like they hadn't seen Hocus Pocus. So for those who would have like that kind of sense of nostalgic attachment to the original, if you were seeing this one for the very first time, you'd probably have a very similar kind of like, oh, like that was kind of nice. Like that was kind of cool. Like it was, it's just, it's a nice film and there's nothing wrong with films just being like nice. And just one thing I, I would think, say, yeah, go on. Sorry to go across <laughs> you. Hocus Pocus fans, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of them. Like they- No, we're very passionate. Yeah, I've learned that today. Genie Max, I tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, they, they another, count, another counter to Chris, um, the film was released in the summer of, uh, when, like, so the original film was released in the summer, which was a big misstep by Disney. Yeah. And it was when it actually landed on the Disney Channel for Halloween. That's when its numbers actually started increasing. So essentially, it did badly because it was released at the, at the wrong time of year. So yes, it did gain like cult following then in the years afterwards and things like that. But like, you can't blame its box office on the film itself. It was just released at a very, very peculiar time. So there you go, Chris. Aww. That's why it didn't do well at the box office. You know, nah, I, don't... Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I feel like Java's little mate on his shoulder with like Olivia that just going, yeah, get him, get him again. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to say that that is not the only reason Hocus Pocus didn't do well. Guys, I, 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 you know what I was going to say? <laughs> and what, what, what we'll have to do is you, you can parade Chris around the streets, something like at a Game of Thrones and oh, wow. shout shame. And <laughs> we put, yeah. Oh, and that's Hannah Waddingham. It is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing it all full circle once again. And well, uh, Wasser on Twitter to share your disdain for his taste in movies. <laughs> there you go. So the show is called We Love Movies, but Chris has definitely revealed his hatred for all things Hocus Pocus. It is one of the big releases out this week. And unfortunately, time has caught up with us because um, of that Royal Rumble around Hocus Pocus. I wasn't expecting that uh, review to descend into that. But uh, there you go. We're, it's very split on all things Hocus Pocus this week. As always, thank you so much for listening to Chris, Andy and Olivia for their reviews this week and uh, for a look at the movie news. As I mentioned, Wheel of Movies comes to a close 
next week. So this is our second last episode on Spin 1038 and Spin Southwest. Hopefully you can join us for our last episode next week. Looking forward to talking to you then. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.